And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and today I'm once again joined by the one, the only, Mr. Sam Tai of BR and Ranks FC. Sam, thanks for being here. Oh, no problem, buddy. Always a pleasure to jump on with you. Uh, I did not Ron Burgundy that one. Uh, I do always write out my introduction. Uh, in this one, I had a question mark instead of an exclamation point. I'm, did, I'm glad I did not begin with, <laughs> Sam, thanks for being here. I went with the, the, the good one, I'm going to say. Nice one, nice one. Yeah. Uh, thanks very much. Yeah. Happy, to, <laughs> happy to join you. <laughs> we are going to talk about this week's Champions League games. But first, it's been a dramatic time uh, since last we spoke. And I'm not just talking about Olympiacos getting a late, late winner against Marseille. Uh, you have a new show. Can you tell us a bit about what's gone on there? It is something of a new show. Uh-huh. It's also the, it's also an old show, I guess. I mean, um, my co-hosts, uh, Dean and Jack, uh, the three of us together, we were BR Football Ranks, the Bleach Reports football soccer podcast for close to two years. And uh, Dean and Jack left the company, left Bleach Report uh, last month or this month. It's been a bit of a blur, uh, along with quite a lot of other people, actually, in, in something of a reshuffle. Um, so BR are moving the, the football operation over to New York. Um, if you're an aspiring social producer, there may be some jobs open. Um, but unfortunately, quite a lot of my friends have left the company. Uh, I'm still there for now, but they dropped the podcast at least. So uh, we were going to continue with that for sure. So we've re badged it as alan partridge would say and we have become ranks fc uh and we're carrying on wednesday shows free to access spotify apple music all that sort of stuff and uh we're also on patreon doing monday and friday drops and some newsletter stuff so if you are a listener and you haven't already heard obviously we're on patreon we'd love you to support us um we need to feed dean's children that's the line i'm going with it's worked really well so far people are just handing cash over my guy as soon as you start, start talking about feeding kids you know, it must be the Marcus Rashford effect. <laughs> a lot of good that guy's done for a lot of reasons. And he's helping me out too. There you go. Uh, and then from a season perspective, you all do usually do the do your ranking system. Is it usually you who does the ranking? I feel like most of the episodes I've listened to, it's you who has the rank down or somebody else who's competing against you. It's very rare that I don't okay. create the ranking. Sometimes we have a guest on to rank stuff. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but if it's just the three of us, if we have no guests, it's almost always me. I, I have to do most of the work, Taylor. This is just the way it is. I've got used to this. Um, every now and then we get Dean to do something in terms of a ranking. He's our transfer insider. So when it comes to the transfer window, like obviously I hand the keys over. Um, but, you know, I, I complain about it, but I'm quite protective over the rankings. Yeah. You know, it's, it's my thing. It's my thing. So I, I promise if this comes across as like a hack question, but I do mean it sincerely. Like, are you a rankings person in your like general life? Like, do you are you ranking your books and your favorite like uh, tea mugs or is it just football where you enjoy the ranking? I like to think I'm not ranking everything in general mm-hmm. sight, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't say that it hasn't filtered into my psyche. Um, I do have a favorite mug if that's what you're asking, you know. Oh, yeah? I, I know exactly where I'm going for that one. And I will always look for that exact mug in the cupboard if it's not there. I'm a little bit disappointed. So, yeah, it started to happen a little bit. I mean, part of the part of the podcast has been the nonsense rankings, which have been rebadged as um, gibberish rankings for legal reasons. And, um, yeah, I've ranked everything. I've ranked pick and mix. I've ranked fav- uh, like Marvel characters. I've ranked um, superhero villains. I've ranked... <laughs> herbs plants <laughs> wait you so, what's, yeah. what's your number one what's your number one herb uh well that's actually that is uh-oh the point I of mean, contention no it's not a point of contention it's it's it's, it's unreleased uh-oh um, so i can't tell you because it's classified this is the strangest <laughs> beginning to a total soccer show i think i've ever experienced <laughs> all right but if you were ranking confusing seasons where would the current one be in those rankings? Because for me, it's number one. I find myself 
very confused by most most teams. Everyone seems simultaneously good and then also bad. Everyone seems to have too many players and then not enough players again simultaneously. How confusing has this season been for you? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty lost, mate. Um, it's difficult for the first time in in the in eight years, uh, which is the span of my entire career in this industry. I am pretty much at a loss um, as to even start explaining what is happening on a pitch, and even worse, trying to predict what's going to happen on the pitch. So you know, when we just uh, recorded a, a Friday preview preview show for Ranks FC, which will be uh, out on Friday, I guess, and. Yeah, we're talking about Classico. We're talking Chelsea United. It's like, Sam, what do you think? I'm like, I don't know. Ask someone else. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I know technically I'm paid to do this, but please don't ask me these questions. They're too difficult. <laughs> what the hell is happening? Right. Are you right? The, the, the problem is, is that, as you say, teams lurch and players lurch from like all conquering performances to like bottom of the barrel rubbish from one week to the next. And this is no rhyme or reason or rhythm to it. And I, I just can't wrap my head around it. Maybe some scientist out there that works for NASA has managed to model this out and has figured out the ups and downs. Maybe it is the crowds. Maybe it is coronavirus, you know, randomly wrecking starting 11s and changing plans at the last minute. I don't know, man. It's just it's just tough, isn't it? It's, it's, it really it's is. much nicer to look back on football that's already happened than it is to look forward right now, which I presume is what we're going to do here. Please tell me that's the case. Nope. We're going to look ahead uh, because <laughs> we have El Clasico this weekend. And this is what I mean when I say that it's it's been very confusing. I think I recorded with Graham Ruffin on Tuesday. I was pretty confident Madrid would be the stronger team heading into this weekend. Then Barcelona smash five past Federer Varos in a 5-1 win. Madrid lose 3-2 at home to Shakhtar and go down 3-0 inside 42 minutes to a Shakhtar team that was missing, I believe, 10 players due to COVID. So in that game, from what you saw, what went wrong for Real Madrid and why did they look so shambles when it came to defense? Yeah, they were bad, weren't they? Yeah. Um, I think I think this is more, more proof that... Um at least as an attacking outfit, they basically cannot function without Karen Benzema, mm-hmm. who, as we know, is is so heavily ingrained into this attack. He is he's the heartbeat of it. And the way that he drifts and creates and facilitates play as well as gets into the box and scores, he's just the, the clear dominant force in this attack, particularly without Eden Hazard as well. And so it looked like Real Madrid had one eye on the Classico here with their lineup. And Luka Jovic, I really like him, but it's just not really working out for him. And uh, part of that's his fault. Part of it's just not. Uh, part of it is the fact that this whole team is is wired to to figure around Benzema, and when he's not there, they just don't know what to do. And so, if you combine that kind of lackluster, kind of clueless, uh, unscripted attack when Benzema's missing and Hazard's not there as well, and you combine it with what was essentially, let's be honest, a very good game plan from Shakhtar. I mean, yeah, sure, they sat deep and they exposed them on the counter, but they knew that they had. Players in midfield, particularly Marcos Antonio, who were fairly press resistant and would be able to just sideswipe a tackle and just play a runner in behind. And what Antonio did uh, from a playmaking perspective under pressure in tight areas on the pitch in terms of creating chances and releasing runners over the top was absolutely masterful. And Tete, who did net one, the winger on the right hand side, Brazilian international, uh, Brazilian youth international, sorry, he should have had four. And Antonio was robbed of at least four assists, in my opinion, which I'm 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 really angry about. But um, Shakhtar's game plan was excellent in the first half, and they did the damage. And then they kind of had to absorb a little bit in the second half because Benzema was on. A lot of people will point the finger here and say, "Well, Ramos is clearly an important part of this team." And true, he is at least emotionally um, and in terms of your, your performance levels. Even if he himself is not perfect, he obviously lifts the players around him. Um, but I'd actually, I'd actually say this has more to do with Benzema not being there. Uh, combination of Benzema and Hazard missing, terrible. And still, though, like yes, I think Sergio Ramos not being there definitely critical because he elevates that team. But you would still think that Rafael Varane could get a job done. You, you think that Eder Militao could step up and do an okay job instead? Varane gets the own goal. Militao looking, uh, I think shambles. I'm going to use that word for the second shaky, time in as many minutes. Shaky. Bit shaky. shaky. Yeah, there we and go. And also, also full on Mondi at, at right back. Mm-hmm. I love, I love Mondi, but he's obviously not a right back. Like he's extremely left footed, and he's better defensively than he is offensively. Yeah. I think he's really solid. I really, really can't can't say how much how much I like him. Like he's he's really good, but there was no balance to the attack either. So you've lost your you've lost Benzema, you've lost you've lost Hazard. Um, you're fragile through the centre. 
because um, you don't have your defensive leader there. And you've got no real balance up the right-hand side um, and no kind of authoritative playmakers and forwards to really, really grab the ball by the horns. And one of the beautiful things about what Modric did was Modric was able to come on and basically, again, just sidestep a, sidestep a marker and just slam it into the net. And up until that point, they just really hadn't had anything like that, um, anything that was able to break Shakhtar down. And on the reverse end, they were awful. So 3-0, half-time, oh, bloody hell. Mm. I mean, the only thing more shocking was that Vinicius managed to score within about 10 seconds of coming on. <laughs> uh, so, yes, Vinicius scores. Uh, Karim Benzema, I believe, does not, but is obviously instrumental in that comeback, such as it was, they still lose. Uh, for like, We're going to go with a loose rankings theme here. Um, if you're ranking players who are like most similar to him in terms of skill set, who would be at least in like the top three of that list? Not necessarily number one, but basically if Real Madrid wanted to sort of replicate what he does with a younger player, uh, if they wanted to sort of kind of bring in a replacement who could do a similar thing, who should they look to? I mean, this is this is very, very difficult because what Benzema is, is, is the complete footballer and he is like equal parts false nine and facilitator and equal parts finisher. And I'll be honest with you, he's, I don't think... I don't think another Benzema really exists. Mm-hmm. And that's where their problem is. Um, Luka Jovic could barely be more different um, as kind of like a, as like a, as like a penalty box instincts kind of guy. He's got, I think he's got the, the mentality to play for Real Madrid. I think he's got the ice in the veins finishing stuff. Uh, it's just the, it's just the rest of the game. That's so different to Benzema. The team just can't latch onto him properly. Um, and for Benzema to replace Benzema, like the closest fit I can think of is Firmino. Um, who isn't as good uh, and is definitely not as good at finishing. Um, And then beyond that, I mean, Kai Havertz would have been a good shout, but not anymore. Yeah. uh, Because he's gone. I can't think of anybody else, dude. So is the the answer then you think if they're going to like rebuild, it does require a change in the approach. You basically can't just keep doing what they're doing and hope that somebody does what Benzema does. You have to like reconfigure things a little bit. Probably. Yeah. I think you just have to rewire it. And I don't think that can possibly happen until Benzema has gone. That's the problem. So ideally you get another Benzema. Um, but as, as I've just said, like, it's just, I just can't think of, I can't think of anybody that would be up to Real Madrid standards that would be okay with playing second fiddle and has the skill set that Benzema offers on in the, in the grand scale. It just doesn't exist. Let's get Edson Cavani in there and see what happens. How about that? <laughs> He would have been. He would have been fine. Like he's good, right? But hey, you guys got him. <laughs> um, uh, I, so looking at this weekend, then are you with me that like it? Not even are you with me, but it seemed to me that Barcelona maybe were looking a little bit more vulnerable than Real Madrid. Now I'm not so sure. They, as I said, uh, blow away Fenerbahce. Gerard uh, Piqué does get the red card, though that doesn't factor into this weekend. What are your expectations for this Clasico? Finally, a good Clasico. Because it's been a while, I think, um, is the main thing. Uh, this, 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 this fixture has actually really, really disappointed me on a number of occasions recently. Um, it doesn't have the compelling Messi-Ronaldo vibe. It doesn't have the Guardiola-Mourinho vibe. So the narratives are lacking. But also, I think there's like these teams are not on the top of the world right now. And uh, ultimately, it's been a bit like the quality almost hasn't been there at times. But now that they're both sufficiently fragile and damaged, and equally so... Um, but will both probably fancy themselves for the win. I think this shapes out to be, first and foremost, a good old game of football, Taylor. You think? And Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm really, really looking forward to it. That makes and- me really happy. We, we uh, in the Tuesday show, were sort of agreeing that it might be a little bit dull because of the uncertainty about these teams. So I'm excited to hear you take a more uh, optimistic approach. Yeah, maybe that's just my natural demeanor, that's Taylor. Fine. My natural disposition that's a good compared to yours. But it's yeah, I'm, I'm, I think it's going to be all right. I think it's going to be all right. And um, I actually have Barca having the edge going into this one, only slightly. Um, Real Madrid consecutive losses obviously figures into that. Um, but I'm just looking at Barca's ability to change the game off the bench, and I'm seeing quite a lot more versatility there. Um, I've quite liked quite a lot of what Barca have managed to put on the table so far this early this season although I did watch them play Hatafe um at the weekend and that wasn't great and almost contradictory to my point 10 seconds ago against Hatafe when they were 1-0 down they just threw attacker on after attacker after attacker and didn't really seem to like know what to do with them they were just like if we put another one on we might score and um there wasn't a lot of thought behind it and it didn't really work out for them but Hatafe are like they're just like a different 
they're a different animal, aren't they? Um, they're so frustrating to play that Real Madrid will be open enough for Barca to be able to change that game. So uh, I've, I've, I've predicted a Barca win, really, but like I could easily see this being 2-2. Uh, it's hard to split these two. All right, so we shall see what happens uh, this coming weekend. For now, let's talk about some games that have already happened. Let's go to Ajax's 1-0 loss at home to Liverpool, uh, courtesy of a Nico Taliafico own goal, which is something that Serginho Dest would never have done and never would do. So <laughs> that that uh, that transfer makes all the more sense. The big narrative this week heading into this game and coming out of this game has been what Jurgen Klopp will do with Virgil van Dijk now out, for, likely for the rest of the season. Do you like that Gomez-Fabinho partnership? Do you think that is the solution, or do you think they're going to spend some money in January? I think they'll probably see how it goes. I mean, look, we saw it. We saw it in the summer how they were very reluctant to spend big money on anybody, and they let Timo Werner go to Chelsea. They let a couple of other targets slip through. I mean, they did a really good job haggling through for Simicast and Thiago, to be fair. But they they weren't they weren't willing to spend, and I don't think that changes in January. That's not how the accountancy books work. So, mm-hmm. I think they're probably hoping that Fabinho is. Van Dyke, but bold and um, Brazilian. So, but he does look very, very smooth, doesn't he? Um, he does look good at centre half. Um, impressed against Ajax and a couple of weeks ago when he dropped in against Chelsea there, he absolutely handled Timo Werner. Now, Timo Werner, who was notoriously difficult to keep track of and so, so fast. Fabinho just handled him. Like it, it wasn't, didn't look very difficult for him. He is one of the more graceful um leggy players that I think I've ever seen and it looks like he can drop in and play now Gomez and Matip have I think they've literally never started a game together um so that is an interesting new partnership despite the fact that they've been on the books at Liverpool for like two or three years each and I do wonder if the partnership is actually Fabinho Matip Mm. because Gomez has been a bit off colour, I would say, since probably June. I think his post-lockdown form wasn't great, and he's obviously had a few issues early this season. The Villa game was really, really poor, and he got hooked after an hour. It wasn't just him, of course. It was pretty much everybody. But I think it works. I think it has the bones of something quite good, um, but it really relies on Fabinho being that dominant force, stepping in for uh, Van Dijk. And I think the partnership is probably Fabinho-Matip when Matip's fit. I would say the first couple of minutes of this game justified that uh, as I think Joe Gomez was trying to shepherd a ball out to kind of like shield it off so Adrian could come out and collect it. And instead, there's a miscommunication. It just ends up getting booted to the stands. And right there, it felt like, ooh, that's maybe something that wouldn't have happened if Virgil van Dijk were around. Uh, but then the rest of the game, like it plays out as you'd expect in that Liverpool will get the win, but uh, not the most exciting of results. Jurgen Klopp afterwards complains about the field, takes off, I think Henderson at halftime takes off the entire front three in the 60th minute because we still have five subs in Europe. So not the most exciting game, not the game that I expected it to be. So instead, what I am going to ask you, watching that Ajax team, it was a lot of names I was somewhat familiar with and then a few names that I was less familiar with. Who on that team or who like that played in this game or just in Ajax in general are you thinking will be the kind of next big name, the next Donny van de Beek, the next uh, Frankie de Jong, uh, Matthias de Ligt, that style of player? Yeah, there's still a couple that I'm getting to grips with as well. It changes fast at Ajax because they have to set all their players all the time. So you just have to keep on top of it. But um, the season's only just started, so we do need a bit more time. But yeah. I mean... Honestly, the, the most exciting one for me is the player that Fabinho appears to have broken, um, which would be which would be Mohamed Kudus. So, mm-hmm. bit of a counterintuitive selection since you literally can't watch him play for the next two or three months. He's got meniscus damage, and I don't know how long he's going to be out for, but it is months. But Kudus early this season has been a bit of a revelation, and his ball carrying ability, and again that smoothness to his play, and his ability to transition from defence to attack, and and appear pretty damn close to perfect in terms of press resistance. I've been very, very impressed with him playing as an eight or a 10 and whatever position really, he's just, he's been a bit of a star plucked from relative obscurity really in Scandinavia in the summer. But a lot of analytics people that I knew were raving about him and Ajax took the plunge, although it's not really much of a plunge if you can see the talent. Um, And Gravenberch in central midfield is the other one. Very, very young, but um, again, another good roaming number eight needs to develop a few kinks in his game maybe their defensive awareness and a few things like that but he's very very young and he's going to grow into this team and grow into this season and he's very exciting i think physically as a prospect he looks really he looks like he could become quite the imperious player so i'd say graven birch and kudus are the two that i'm really keeping an eye on 
and I'm going to keep it as a ranking. Caduce 1, Graven Birch 2, and uh, it's not really that much of a secret, but Lissandro Martinez continues to impress me no matter which position he's in whenever he plays. Uh, he is more last season's story, but I think he's still one of those players that even this summer, if you were like, I don't think a top club would have paid you know, 40 million for Lissandro Martinez, but next summer that might be different. More still to come from my conversation with Sam Ty, but first I wanted to let you know that today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Manscaped. Uh, we know now that Jurgen Klopp was not pleased with the field when Liverpool played Ajax. He thought it was not, I guess, well-maintained. If the folks at Manscaped had been in charge, you can see where I'm going with this, it probably would have been, especially if they had utilized something like the Premium Lawnmower 3.0, which is a uh, perfect trimmer that is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin-safe technology. You would need several of those to trim an entire field, but they would do it, and they would do it precisely. For a limited time, when you order the Perfect Package Kit, which includes their Manscaped Crop Preserver, as well as the Crop Reviver, which is a toning spray, uh, both are super practical and smell great. Uh, when you purchase that, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. They are anti-chafing cooling and are very, very comfortable as well. That's a good combination of things. The waistband is also super elastic to reduce chafing and rubbing. So if you're playing in even more unfavorable conditions, if it's a bad field, but also if it's super hot or raining or anything like that, you're not going to get uncomfortable because the Boxer Briefs will keep you quite relaxed. You can get 20% off with free shipping with the code TSS20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code TSS20. From the moose to the caboose, always use the right tools for the job and maybe don't use them to trim an entire field, but you can if you want. Thank you very much to Manscaped for sponsoring this episode. Now back to Sam Tai. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Since you've continued the ranking narrative, uh, where are Liverpool in terms of if you're ranking teams most likely to be in the Champions League final or win the Champions League this season? Oh, mate, I don't do those predictions at this stage. <laughs> the Champions League predictions, the winners and all that stuff, I have a very strict rule, which I'm allowed to continue to enforce. I don't do it before Christmas. All right. But then like just, bo- Boxing so, Day, so are those rankings much- out? No, no, as in, sorry, as in, like, basically, let's get the group stage done. Let's yeah. see what the lie of the land is. Because also, I'm sure you remember, but, like, do you remember when the first time Man United beat PSG? Not this time, the other time. When the draw <laughs> came out and they, they, they drew each other in the round of 16, like, yeah. Man United were a total mess. Yeah. PSG were in the ascendancy. And this had, like, you know, 4-1, 5-1 written all over it. Three months passed. We get to February. PSG are an absolute mess and United are on fire. Rio Ferdinand shouting about giving Ole a contract. United are back, baby, woohoo, all that stuff. So much changes between December and February. I tell you what, even more changes between September and February. So I just basically, um, I dodged the question like a coward because I just don't, no. I just don't know. No, you didn't dodge the question. You gave a realistic answer, which I think is probably better than just coming up with something on the fly. Because to really like further your point, we, we talk about this last time. I think we talk about it every time you're on. But we were at the Bayern Munich game where they get destroyed by Eintracht Frankfurt. And if you if we asked you then, hey, how far are Bayern going to go? I feel like the answer would be not very far. And yet now we know they are more than capable of going far. They yeah. also are more than capable of, I'm going to say embarrassing, Atletico Madrid, a 4-0 win for Bayern Munich. The game was pretty open, pretty sloppy for the first 30 minutes or so. Then Bayern did Bayern things. Or Bayern did Bayern things not buyer things those would be very different things uh i did an episode <laughs> of soccer 101 on why Bayern munich are so good we've talked about them many many times on this show i am still sort of amazed by results like this because i thought they are so difficult to play against they are so compact and troublesome but then good on the counter and yet Bayern munich still able to get these results and all of that is to say, like, I am assuming there will be a period in which Bayern Munich are not this level of dominant. It has to happen. You have to have your ups and downs so that you rebuild and then you come back. If Bayern Munich do start to have another downturn in form, 
What do you think is the precipitating incident? Who is the player that you think, similar to Benzema, they would struggle the most to replace? I feel like I've teed you up to say Robert Lewandowski, and I didn't really mean to. But yeah, no, what, no. what does no, it look I'm... like if Bayern Munich start to fall off a little? I mean, this is a hell of a way of talking about Bayern after, <laughs> after, after winning 4-0. Hey, let's talk about what could their downfall be. I mean, we just talk um, about how good they are so often. It's like we can go through the individual moments of like, oh, this combination, the way that player moved there. I would love to do all of that. It's just it ends up being the same sort of, yeah, they're just really good. And they've got a lot of talent and they know how to play. And Hansi Flick seems to have figured that out. I have more questions about that later on. But for now, yeah, I want to go negative first. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the answer is Lewandowski. I think hmm. we've we've actually got enough evidence over the course of 2020 of Bayern racking up four, five, six goals against teams and Lewandowski either scoring just one or none at all. And if it's one, it's like the fourth or fifth goal. Like, obviously, he's an incredible number nine. I think he's the best number nine in the world. And um, I don't mean to disrespect him. But when Bayern rack up huge scorelines, they don't need Lewandowski to score to do it. Now, you could argue that the, the rest of what he, he offers in terms of uh, link play and facilitating, like Benzema, maybe that's absolutely crucial, even if he's not scoring, which is probably true. But I actually think right now the, the real standout candidate for me is Thomas Muller and what he's managed to do over the course of last season, leaping to the top of the assist charts. I think he got 21 and beat Sancho. What Hansi Flick has, has unlocked in Thomas Muller, I think he's actually the wild card in the system. Because Bayern, for all their flash and for all their speed, and ultimately for all their close to footballing perfection, um, they can settle into periods in games where they become a bit mechanical. And there is only one player that could break them out of that and create something completely different and off script. And that is Muller. And I think he's the most irreplaceable player in the system. Uh, because they've got loads of really good players, but they've got great depth as well. So they're not struggling to replace too many players. But I don't think there's another player like Muller in the world. So there's definitely not one of Bayern. Uh, you said Hansi Flick has sort of unlocked him a little bit. Uh, maybe I'm misunderstanding, but I wanted to ask what you mean by that in terms of, have you seen him get like specific things out of Thomas Muller? Have you seen him adjust his game at all? No, I think unlocked maybe is the wrong way. It's maybe like re-energized or okay. reignited because... What we're seeing from Muller isn't something we haven't seen in the past. It's just it's just something we haven't seen for a couple of years. You know, basically the Kovac years and just mm -hmm. before that. Even under Pep, he wasn't this good. I mean, uh, perhaps I'd argue that he, this is at, at least his second best streak ever, um, which is the other one being the 2013 treble win into the World Cup. But this might be this might be the best we've literally ever seen from Thomas Muller. And it is that kind of classic kind of round deuter space interpretation, the kind of the wild card effect he has on a game where he just goes, he just roams and goes off position. And the link up play that he has with all the different uh, players, his ability to play first time passes and balls, his strange ability to look like he's mishit a shot so badly he's an amateur, but it goes in the top corner. <laughs> all of these things are so different to what anybody else can do. Yep. But that that's why I pick him. And so unlocked is unlocked is not right. Reignited is 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 the right way of putting it. With with the rest of the team, are there specific things you've seen that Hansi Flick has done? Because I think it's it's very easy with Bayern Munich to say, as I kind of already have, like, oh, they've got so much talent, they've got the money, they've got the name recognition, they're always going to be this dominant team in Germany, and then they're able to extend that to the Champions League. So all you got to do is get Hansi Flick in and like just get, make everybody happy, and then it's all good. But we know from Niko Kovac that there are certainly managers who cannot do that. So I then look at Hansi Flick and wonder, like, what are the individual things that you might have seen, or, or even just kind of broader perspective things that you think he has gotten right that has allowed Bayern to be this good? I mean, I think the first step with Bayern, I think I actually talked about it last time I was on the show, but if you make Neuer and Muller happy, then you have a much better time of things. Yeah. And um, he was able to figure that out pretty damn quickly. I mean, Flick was the assistant coach for Germany at 2014, so he knows how these players work and he knows what the dynamic at Bayern Munich is, no question, having been an assistant before he took the helm. So Neuer and Muller happy is happy days for a coach. Kovac missed that boat. He didn't, he didn't do that and that was his first problem. But a couple of things I... I definitely picked out are that Bayern are outstanding from set pieces, uh, both defensively and offensively. They are so, so good at them. And with Kimmich moving into central midfield, they just feel like a, a different animal. Kimmich is, we, we're, we're close to talking about Kimmich as, as top three central midfielders in the world at this point. I mean, maybe we're not close. Maybe we're already there. Like the guy is astonishing. It feels like there are 10 of him. And yet everything he does, I looks mean, like he's doing it at 50% speed because he's so good and opening, so calm. The opening goal, I have to, sorry to interject, interject, but yeah, that opening goal, if ever you needed like 
an like example of why he is so good and simultaneously everybody's frustrations with Jao Felix. It's right there. It's a loose ball. Kimmich goes all in for the tackle. Jao Felix hurdles that tackle. Kimmich gets up and plays that ball into Kingsley Coman. Yeah, I'm with you. Yoshua Kimmich, an incredibly good footballer. Uh, yeah, maybe one of the top midfielders in the world for me. Uh, yeah, I hadn't thought about it too much, but he's he's in that conversation for sure. The guy is astonishing. And the other thing I would I would say is that like obviously they're a devastating attacking force and they throw bodies forward and they are so fast when they move forward. It's incredible in transition by and are just, they're just incredible, but going backwards the other way, recovering from that transition. This is something that a lot of the top teams basically aren't nailing right now, but by and are you watch when Bayern lose the ball in an attacking area and they look like they could be exposed. They run back so goddamn fast, like the recovery speed and the effort is remarkable. I remember watching them post-lockdown in a couple of games um, against Gladbach and against Leverkusen, and they'd lose the ball, and three seconds later, they'd eight men behind the ball on their own edge of their own box. These are all extremely talented players. They're top of the range. They're world-class, and yet they're also so well-conditioned and aware enough and willing to chase back and do the dirty work. Like Every single one of them will do it. They'll all stand on their own goal line and take a ball to the balls if they need to, just to prevent to prevent a goal being uh, scored. It's it's it sounds basic, but like no one else is doing that. Like mm-hmm. no one else has that commitment from their players. Barcelona certainly don't. That's why the uh, disparity was so stark when they when they played each other. It's it's a different world. What Bayern are doing. You would think Atletico Madrid would have that same level of discipline when it comes to defending and transitioning to defense. They did not really against Bayern Munich. Generally speaking, they have. They still haven't lost in the league so far. Two wins and two draws. We did have this question. I say all that just to say this isn't necessarily coming from this result. But last week we had a question about if Diego Simeone were to leave Atletico Madrid, what would be the ideal job for him right now, either at club or at international level? Uh, I gave my answer. Ryan gave his answer. Ryan's was Arsenal for reasons. Mine was Wolves. I'm wondering if you have a thought on where you would like to see Diego Simeone, if not at Atletico Madrid. What, right now or like towards the end of the season or something like that? I think like basically which team with like the roster they have would embrace his philosophy, his style of play. Where would he be able to have success? Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Cause, and I'm sure you talked about this when when you actually asked the question and decided it. But they're a bit of an anachronism, aren't they, in world football mm-hmm. at the top level? Like they don't really play in the same way as most others. So it is quite difficult to envisage him walking into another top team and going, right, this is how we're going to do things. So you imagine Diego Simeone getting Neymar at PSG to be like, OK, so we're going to track back <laughs> first and foremost. And then you can maybe think about doing some dribbles. He'd be like... Get out of here. No that genuinely, just the idea of that really did make me laugh. So thank you for that. I mean, I'm looking at a Premier League table right now, and the team that would suit them the most is Crystal Palace. Wow. <laughs> You're not Crystal wrong. Palace. That is a great <laughs> shout. Because Hodgson is basically a poor man Simeone, and um, he's built a team that would really, really suit him. Uh, Wilfred Zaha becomes João Felix, and uh, everybody else becomes hard worker number one through to ten. Um, so actually the best fit I can think of is Palace. Uh, I know exactly not, what you mean. It's definitely not the answer that you wanted. <laughs> no, it's just hysterical to me because, first of all, it's a great answer, but second of all, with, like, I know what you mean, you are correct, but the idea that Roy Hodgson and Diego Simeone are, like, cut from the same cloth is hysterical to me, and I'm all about it, and I want Uncle Roy to start wearing all black suits at all times. Okay, here's a slightly better answer. Sevilla would suit him. Yeah, that's a good shout. Yeah, we'll go with Sevilla, not Palace. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, since you mentioned PSG, uh, they do lose uh, at home 2-1 to to Manchester United. Marcus Rashford scoring the winner there. Marcus Rashford, despite how much I have watched of him for Manchester United, remains a confusing figure to me, or at least a confusing attacker, because he will have moments where he has very clear-cut chances that he doesn't take. He has times when he shoots at least to my mind that he has really no business shooting like I appreciate the effort I appreciate the sort of confidence but it never seems like he's gonna score and then from like a zero degree angle in like the dying moments he's able to hit one inch perfect like how confused are you by Marcus Rashford or more maybe like specifically is that determination, is that like willingness to try stuff and keep going, even if you've missed sitters earlier, you find a way to make something happen? Is that a skill set or is that like just sort of the law of averages eventually catching up? I mean, 
all top attackers miss a chance and then it's instantly true. forget it ever happened. That's it's just true. the way their that's the way their brains work. So Rashford is no different. Rashford is is still a little bit rough around the edges, isn't he? Uh, ultimately, I mean, I think um, I think if if it really ever finally fully clicked for Rashford, I, I actually don't think he'd look too dissimilar to Mbappe. Like, because stylistically, he could he could be that kind of player. Now, unfortunately, he's not quite Mbappe, but he's pretty damn good in his own right. And you have to take the rough with the smooth with Rashford. He's um, he's a direct player. He takes players on and he takes on risks and he takes chances. And ultimately, that can get a bit frustrating. But if you watch a team full of players that don't do that, they don't get anywhere at all. And I guess United's problem may be, I say problem, they just beat PSG away, um, is that Martial is also similarly perplexing at times. Yep. And you've basically got two of them, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Two players that kind of swing wildly from zero to 100 it's at any given moment. super fun and not at all infuriating <laughs> at times. I mean, I mean, Rashford's had an injury and yeah. I've been willing to give him um, some, some grace period, uh, basically since June, because he came back from that back injury. Um, it was actually uh, within the day before that got announced, by the way. Uh, I was, I was, I was, uh, I was in his house. Wait, <laughs> it wasn't before, me. Before it was announced that he had a broken back. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, I was but it there. wasn't I was you. Still, I, You're sure? It wasn't. I swear to God, it wasn't me. Was he like holding um, his back the whole time? Like, were there signs? No he, no, he was completely fine. Um, he, we did a house tour, which is on YouTube, which you could just search Marcus Rashford house tour, and I, basically he showed me around his house, which was very nice of him. Um, but we it was like a lot of, of all, legwork to not call it cribs. Just saying, that. we went to uh, yeah for sure, but we don't think we're allowed to. Um, we did uh, before we did that, we met at Hotel Football because Rashford was spoke to Ryan Giggs for basically a trip down memory lane for half an hour or so on, on Manchester United stuff, which was really nice. And uh, at the top of hotel football, which for, the, for those that you don't know is, is the hotel basically directly opposite old Trafford. And a lot of football fans obviously stay there the night before or the night of the game uh, to go to old Trafford and make a, make a real thing of it. It's a really nice hotel. And the very top floor, there is a five side pitch. And um, the interview took place on the five side pitch. And I was doing kickups with Marcus Rashford, uh, that day and then he drove me to his house and then we uh, we had a house tour and he was fine he was absolutely fine I met his dogs they're delightful and um, the next day he'd been ruled out for several months with a spinal injury and I tell you what I was as surprised as anybody because the guy looked fine to me but you did what? do keepy ups yeah and heated them too and we were I, passing I, I, to, we, I'm yeah. just saying maybe maybe that's where it happened Sam maybe you do share more of the responsibility here than you're letting on Maybe I, I'm really sorry if I do. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> but yeah, that was go ahead, go that was ahead, really go that was really surpri- it was really surprising when that happened. Um, so yeah, there were some interesting reports as well that came out of that. After that, I wasn't really sure about those. Like there was a report in one newspaper that said that Rashford had done an interview with Giggs earlier that day, uh, earlier that day before in in hotel football, and he could he couldn't sit down because he was he was in so much pain and he was holding his back. Absolute bollocks! Like. <laughs> I can't believe how much that of a lie that is. He was fine. It was a weird day. It was a weird couple of days. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. But the, I'm, I, I can't let go of the keepy uppies for a moment here. When you're doing those with Marcus Rashford, like, what is your approach, Sam Ty? Like, were you trying to impress? Were you just trying to go along? Were you the, were you the workman like number eight who was just getting the ball back to him? Were you trying to be the number 10? Were you the number six who was taking one touch and playing it right back? What were you going with? Um, four touches max. All right. Get it back. All right. No flair. Get it back, get it back without booting it at his knees. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was wearing shoes that were absolutely not meant for football at all. Excuses. Um, cool. so, so I was just like, flick it up. One, two, three, pass it over. One, two, three, pass it over. Like, just don't, don't embarrass yourself. Just, just, just be cool, be calm, be collected. No problem. Um, and it was fine. I, 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 was, I was able to do that. I was able to transfer in the ball two or three times. No problems. Didn't make myself look a fool. But he doesn't think I'm anything special either. So perfect middle ground. <laughs> that is the perfect middle ground. Uh, Manchester United do have more players than Marcus Rashford. You mentioned Anthony Martial. He's one of them. Axel Twanzibi is also one of them, put in a solid shift against PSG. Oh, How yeah. much have you seen of him, Sam? Because I would say you're sort of a Twanzibi originalist. I believe I'm, uh, I'm the founder of the Twanzibi fa- uh, fan uh-huh. club. Uh, and I'm in control of the memberships. Did you want one? Uh, yeah, I think I'm in. I'm in. 
Okay, yeah. I mean, I saw I saw a lot of him as I yeah. was covering Villa when they uh, in the in the season they got promoted. Um, so he spent. I'll just have a quick look at the history there because it was a good. It was a good. He did half a season under Steve Bruce, but he only made like four appearances and he got injured and missed the rest of the season. But he stuck around for another one and he made twenty seven starts in the Championship. Again, he got injured during that time. I think he broke his foot and missed three months. Um, and then he came back in time for the playoff push and started the playoff final at Wembley. He and Tyrone Mings as a partnership were just unbelievable at that level. Like it was a particular game. Um, it was actually the game that you might remember this where Villa played Leeds and Leeds um, tricked Villa into thinking they were going to pass the ball out of play for an injury, waited for them to stop and then played it through the lines and scored. And Bielsa went nuts and forced his team to concede a goal to restore parity. Do you remember that? Yeah. That was incredible. So then later on in that game, Villa got a red card and they were down to 10. One all, 70 minutes, absolute Leeds United onslaught from a Bielsa side. And Twenzebe and Mings were were just, they were just incredible. They were pillars. They were incredible at the heart of that defence. I remember coming away from that game thinking these two are just like, they're mid-table Premier League class at the absolute worst they are just so good and with Tuanzebe it's just such a shame that his only enemy is his own body and he just can't seem to get onto the pitch for much for, uh, for, for long at all before breaking down again and his performance against PSG I mean I didn't watch the game in full but I'm dutifully informed by everybody in my phone book that he was amazing yep. and it was his first uh first start in 10 months wasn't it it was it was yeah. I, I was I was very impressed by him I'm gonna ask you another Sort of, sort of rankings question, but with the caveat that you said you don't want to jump to conclusions based on our small sample size. But even maybe going back to last season, if you are coming up with like a starting eleven for Manchester United and they're playing in a back four, who would be the two centre backs you would go with if everybody's fully fit? Well, right now I'd absolutely take Tuanzebe. Like mm-hmm. I'd, at Villa, he only really had one weakness, and that was he was actually surprisingly poor at judging um, long balls which is a bit weird, but he, he, he continually kind of overshot them and went forward and missed them or was, was far too cautious and allowed it to bounce and allowed the striker to get in, to get in on him. Um, and he had real trouble just, just dealing with those direct balls forward, which, as you can imagine, in the championship, there were quite a lot of them. But everything else was completely fine. Defending crosses, fine. On the ball, really smooth. All the mechanics were there. All the fundamentals were there, except for that one thing. Now, Let's be honest, he hasn't really played that much since he played the playoff final uh, against Derby a couple of years ago now. So how much time he's had to work on those, I don't know. But that's very coachable. Like, that doesn't take very long at all. So I would put Tuanzebe in and say, let's see if he can stay fit, because if he can, you've got a potentially special player on your hands. I'm of the opinion that Maguire needs probably a little bit of a break. So I guess I'm ending up with Lindelof. <laughs> did that sound convincing that as i said in the beginning when i had a question mark instead of an exclamation point that sounds like you had a period or maybe an ellipses instead of, of, of anything resembling an exclamation point i just didn't want to say it but i don't know what else to say i mean the answer the answer is chris smalling but he's gone yeah so he's gone so i guess it's yeah i mean look long t- i mean yeah in a month's time it would be to anzebe and, and mcguire i think mcguire just needs to step out for a little bit um, so for now, it's Lindelof and, and Tuanzebe. All right. Well, my Man United rage has been triggered. So let's just move on to another game. Inter Milan pulled a point back with a late equalizer from Romelu Lukaku in their 2-2 draw uh, at home to Borussia Mönchengladbach. Inter Milan with Antonio Conte, I feel like you you can like safely assume they're going to be in a back three. There's going to be a lot of fight and tenacity to that team. Borussia Mönchengladbach are one of those teams that I always plan to cover and really focus in on. And then I sort of never do. I'm hoping you have. And I'm wondering who on that squad you particularly enjoy watching. Yeah, I did. I did watch this game. This game was like, well, the second half of this game, you just I I can only implore you to go and watch the second half of this game. It was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Um, I'll do a rough talking through of it because it was a goalless first half and really genuinely not that much happened. Lukaku puts Inter ahead. In the build-up... In the most was, scrambly scramble of all goals. It was scrambly scramble face for yeah. sure. But he in the build-up to the goal, there is a pass from Arturo Vidal that is very similar to the one that Joshua Kimmich played to Kingsley Coman. Yeah. And it, is the, it was a beautifully flighted ball that... It's not converted, but it, the ball kind of works its way back around. D'Ambrosio keeps it in. Someone swipes at it. Lukaku puts it in the net. That's for, that's what that's the kind of panache that Vidal can offer. Then, 
14 minutes later, Vidal yep. goes through goes through someone's legs and concedes a penalty. And I was like, ah, of course. The 15 minutes that perfectly encapsulates Arturo Vidal's <laughs> entire career is, uh, on the one hand, brilliant. On the one hand, a total liability. Um, ben Sabaini converts to Penn, who is a really good, really good left wing back. He's actually the player that in an article this summer I said Inter should sign for left wing back because he's that kind of... Um, that kind of more modern, um, like five foot eleven, six foot build, like taller wing back that runs with a lot of power, with that big stride that can cover the flank up and down. He can also play left centre back, actually, where Inter are playing Kolarov, and that is not going particularly well at all from what I've seen. Uh, but Kolarov is frankly too old to play wing back, so I don't know what I don't know what the plan was there, but it doesn't seem to be working. Um, but later on, there was a pass from Neuhaus. Have you seen it? uh it's, it's, i mean it's i watched the, this game so yes but i'm not remembering I, it now it's oh my god like oh my god the pass from neuhaus is just ridiculous it's in the build-up to the the second goal for gladback 84th minute do you remember that benjamin pavard pass that did the rounds on twitter a couple yeah. of years ago where he was playing center back and he did that low grass cutter and it bypassed an entire team and went through for someone on goal neuhaus basically did this i counted six players that it beat First time, skimmer, power along the floor, broke three lines to beat six players and set Hoffman off uh, to score a goal. Uh, he nutmegged Handanovic and put it in. And there's me screaming at the TV, you better score this. <laughs> like, you have no choice but to score this because that pass was like, it belongs in a museum. And if you mess this up, Jonas Hoffman, if you mess this up, you will be public enemy number one of football because this pass needs to be remembered appropriately as an assist and not just some random pass in the 84th minute of a group stage game in the craziest season of all time. And then Gladbach can't get their, can't get themselves in gear. They can't defend the, the late pressure. And eventually Lukaku converts at the back post, gets away from Elvedi and, and, and pushes it over the line. Bastoni, I think, gets like a, a near post flick. This like 35 minutes of football was just, it was like watching an entire match of the day in terms of highlights. It was just incredible. Like, so much fun to watch. And Inter are actually, again, we we we've we put them in the same category as Barca, United, you know, Chelsea, Real Madrid. They look more fragile than I anticipated right now. I agree. They're, yeah. And and I'm surprised by it. I'm not going to blame it all on Kolarov, but I am going to say that he's a, uh, a major part of that. But De Vrij hasn't looked quite so good. Conte definitely is at fault here. Obviously, you lose Hakimi to coronavirus. So like, um, you know, for, for the match, that's not helpful. And definitely a part of, these struggles are these just random like, oh, you can't play. Yep. Oh, he's gone. Um, so that's a, that's a problem. But insert more fragile than I thought. Um, Gladbach, still loads of fun. Marcus Turam, player. Mbolo is the number 10 now, feeding chances rather than struggling to score goals under a lot of pressure as the number nine. Like, there's a lot to like here. Gladbach, uh, high pressing. Marco Rosa came from the, the Red Bull tree. So you know exactly what to expect from him. And they're good fun. They're still good fun. Uh, looking at the Inter Milan side for a moment, I, it didn't really occur to me until this exact moment. The left side of Inter yesterday was Alexis Sanchez up top. I think they have Perisic as like a wingback yeah. winger. Yep. Vidal was the left side of midfielder, and that left Kolarov as your left center back. That's rough times. That's that's a veteran squad, not to be ageist. I just don't know if that's the team that I would necessarily have expected them to bring out in the Champions League and expected them to get a result. Yeah, I don't really get it. Like Perisic left wing back, Kolarov left centre back. It just doesn't really, it doesn't really do anything for me. And and I like the rest of this team a lot. So this is quite disappointing. I'd also just draw a parallel there with what Juventus put up against Dynamo Kiev. Um, I mean, they beat Kiev two 0 so no problem. But they started the game with Chiesa at left wing back, which is essentially like having Perisic at left wing back. I know Perisic is 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 pretty two footed, so it's okay. But a right footed wing back at left. Uh, left wing back is crazy and they had Danilo at left center back with Chiellini in the middle and Bonucci on the right that's like Pirlo do you know what, <laughs> what do you know what foot these players use like you played with two of them like what's going on I don't I don't, I don't get it I don't understand I mean maybe he thinks that Bonucci's passing range can be unlocked a little bit when he plays on the right of the three because you get that pocket of space to move into Maybe he doesn't trust Chiellini's pace in the channel on the left because he's 35, 36, whatever it is. Maybe it's just an age thing. But to play Danilo at left centre-back left me jaw-dropped. I, I mean, I was just, I don't like him. So 
I don't like him as a player, so I was I don't like it whenever he features in Juventus's starting lineup. To be honest with you, I don't think he's very good. Um, but to see him at left centre back was really alarming. It was even scarier than. Well, if you've been playing Warzone recently, the Halloween edition of that is quite scary. The zombies and ghosts and everything. And I was even more scared of this. I love you, Sam. I really do. Uh, I did watch this game. This was the second Champions League game that put me to sleep this week. So <laughs> maybe I need to drink some more coffee before the Champions League happens. But yeah, twice I thought, oh, Dinamo Kiev, they're always kind of a surprising team. You never know what you're going to expect. Uh, Juventus or Juventus, this should be a good one. And then it was not. At least the first 45 minutes were not. But Juve do eventually get two goals from, I believe, of our Morata to get yeah. the win there. The last game I wanted to ask you about would be Chelsea-Sevilla. Uh, because again, I don't really know what to make of this one. It's a nil-nil draw, and yet I wouldn't say this was necessarily like boring in some, the way some of the other games I think kind of were. But Sevilla are just a very difficult side right now. They're very tricky. A goalless draw, though, is probably not what Chelsea fans would have wanted from this one, especially given the investment in that squad. Are you like? Do you think Chelsea fans should be okay with a result like this against Sevilla, or could they have done more? Should they have done more? I mean. Surely they're just delighted with a clean sheet. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, obviously there's a trade-off here, and um, <laughs> I, I didn't see this game in full, but you can tell from um, six shots to five that maybe this wasn't uh, lighting anyone's screen up. Yeah. So, yeah, fair enough. Sevilla extremely obstinate to play against when they want to be very, very well put together side. Um, I mean, Granada still beat them at the, uh, the other week, so still pretty pleased with that one. But yeah, for most teams, Sevilla are a problem. Um, Chelsea just picking up that clean sheet. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll do them wonders. And you know, to get a goalkeeper, keep a clean sheet to 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 more or less shut Severe down. I would be walking away with this as I know it's a small positive, and maybe it's like you know they need to be aiming higher than this. But after the start to the season they've had and the goals they've conceded, I'd just be pretty pleased with this. So I'd take it and run. So I feel like I've asked you some like sort of negative questions i want to end on a positive or at least attempt to uh with that result uh we do have no goals but frank lampard keeps that clean sheet what have you liked from frank lampard uh this season for chelsea what have you think he is what do you think he has gotten right or what do you think he might have figured out uh, um, I don't like. I don't. I don't like. <laughs> I, I don't like. I don't like. I don't like. I don't know. I can't say. I'm going to force you to be positive, Sam. I don't. I don't. I have not liked. I have not liked much of it at all. I've really? These, all right. Then let's I, not. I re- let's not. I be really. Positive. I, this is not a positive at all. All right. Uh, this is an overwhelming negative. I don't like um, how he used Havertz in the first couple of games. I don't like um, how he's used Timo Werner. I don't really like the midfield makeup. I don't like the fact that there's a huge gaping space in front of the centre-halves that's never covered. I don't like the fact that the centre-halves are pretty error-prone and need that cover and therefore make mistakes. Uh, oh, I like Rhys James. That's been good. And Chilwell, <laughs> Chilwell's really looking, he's looking like a real force moving yeah. forward with the ball and he can pick his way down the line and be a, and be a real uh, impact player in attack and I like that. The fu- I like the full-backs. I'll leave it at that. Uh, Sorry, what, I, could, what, I literally can't do any better. No, 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 I, I that's disagree, great. I'm, I disagree with so much of what Lampard has done at, at start, to start the season, and the concerns and the irritations of the Chelsea fans. I absolutely get it. Well, I want to let's let's drill down into those then. Uh, having started this by trying to be positive, I'd rather focus on reality. So, like Kai Havertz, there you mentioned. What, what do you think Lampard isn't getting right? What do you think he should be doing with Kai Havertz? So he's getting there now. I just got really annoyed on the opening day that on against Brighton that he ended up playing Havertz on the right flank. Mm-hmm. And I was like, have you, see, have you literally seen him play before? Um, and he had Loftus-Cheek playing through the middle, who I know he's not a winger, but at least he played a whole season as a winger uh, for Palace under Roy Hodgson on loan. So like, if you're going to put him in the right position, could you just try? Um, and of course, then Havertz plays up front against Liverpool, which... I'm, I'm roughly okay with, but what I didn't like was the, the fact that they went down to 10 men, had to make a half-time sub. You took off Havertz. Like, this is going to be an incredibly hard second half for you, and any goal that you score is probably going to be a product of two or three passes and a very quick transition. Guess who the best player to facilitate that is in your team? It's Kai Havertz. You just took him off. And then Timo Werner chopping from left wing to up front to left wing to up front funneling too much of the play through him rather than letting him get on the end of moves i don't think he really grasped what Werner is to start with as well this just mate it's just 
Yeah. I just, I just, I just looked at it. I just didn't see the logic of what was happening based on what I know of these players, and that's what that's what troubled me. Do you think that then that then means that he is likely to be less involved in some of these acquisitions if he's not necessarily playing them in the ideal position, or seems like he lacks some of that familiarity? Oh, I know for a fact that he wasn't particularly familiar with Kai Havertz before he signed. So yeah, it's not these transactions are are at least partially going on above his head, which is totally fine because they have a structure, they have a director of football, and they have you know this is the way of modern football. A manager isn't out there picking players like he was ten or fifteen years ago. Um, but it's Lampard's duty to figure these players out pretty damn fast, or at least like. You know, not not necessarily on the training pitch because Havertz did only have like a week or so with Chelsea before his debut because of the stupid international break. Um, but just do some research, and you know, three or four games in, Havertz is playing as a sort of roaming number ten, linking the lines, drifting left and right. Perfect, perfect. Why was he not doing that against Brighton? I don't. I, there's no answer for it. So that's that's where the frustration comes in. All right, then I'm going to attempt to end on an, on an optimistic note one more time with this question. I believe I'm correct in saying that this was the uh, largest number of Americans playing in the Champions League like over the course of like one match day. Uh, for you, Sam, are the, is there one particular American that you find yourself enjoying more than others, either in the Champions League or elsewhere? Well, in this particular match day, I loved the fact that Ethan Horvath just... Well, he got to play, yeah, and and then he cried. He did, and that was really cute. So, match day one, Champions League 2020, it was all about Ethan Horvath for me. On a more general note, I mean, I guess it's between the magnificent midfield three, isn't it? Yeah. And um, I still absolutely love watching Pudisic uh, and his clever runs and his ability in transition, and I'm loving the fact that he's he's been so successful. Um, because there was a lot, a lot of doubts about him in England when he signed in that January, got loaned back, and people looked at his goals and assist tallies and were like, "Well, you know, he doesn't really do much. Look, he's not a very productive player. He's barely managed to hold it down at Dortmund." The guy's incredible, and I'm really liking the fact that people are going, "Oh, I kind of misjudged that one." Um, so Havert, uh, Havert, jeez, um, Pulisic. I'm, I'm looking at Havertz on my screen. That's the problem. <laughs> is uh, Pulisic is the one for me for sure? Do you just have photos of Kai Havertz cycling through on your uh, desktop? <laughs> well um no it's just because i have the who scored um lineup graphic mm-hmm. in front of me just looking at the game against severe so i was just staring him in the face even though pudisic is literally literally next to him <laughs> so it's no, it's no excuse is he shirtless sam this guy have a shirtless in the photo i feel like that will do tell me- us do you remember what we talked about last time you know me and kai we go way back so, no you know uh you know kai havertz and i you know he he you know he said hello to me once um <laughs> when i was at leverkusen's training and um you know so it's you know it's dangerous to throw those sorts of things around because it could well be true (laughs) i love you sam all right on that note on the note of sam being best friends with kai havertz sam sam ty thank you very much for taking the time to uh talk about the first match day of the champions league uh and i appreciate that you're not willing to like make decisions for the entirety of the season based on this one game, but I do appreciate you making sense of everything else as well. One last time, if people want to hear uh, the new show or hear more from you, how can they do so? Yeah, S-Tie Football on Twitter and Instagram, um, and it's Ranks FC on your podcast catcher, whatever it is. That's our new show, formerly BR Football Ranks, now Ranks FC. Same keyword, so you should be okay. Uh, Taylor, I was wondering if you might let me have the last word today. That's of all course. Right. I wanted to take the opportunity to to just just place on record my appreciation and and, and love for daryl um i wanted to say that i consider myself to be to be really lucky because in 2019 i got to meet daryl and this this bundesliga trip that we we always talk about every time i'm on the i'm on the show it got more it got brought up today Mm -hmm. that saw myself and daryl and taylor collide in in frankfurt and dusseldorf and we watched football we played football we drank we ate and Mm -hmm. We enjoyed life and we stood inside Dusseldorf Stadium at one in the morning taking photos and that marked the end of an amazing trip. We created a bond. I became a TSS listener and occasional contributor from that weekend onward and I've loved Daryl's love and passion for the game from afar ever since meeting him in 2019 And, and those memories that I have in Frankfurt and Dusseldorf now take on like just a much greater significance in light of the announcement on Monday which was which was gut-wrenching. and I'm so sorry. I will treasure those memories forever and I will always consider myself lucky to have met Daryl and enjoyed his company. So thoughts with you, Daryl. Thoughts with your family. 
Portsmouth U Taylor and to every member of the TSS community who is hurting at the moment. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.